Wonderful. You okay? Yeah. You all sitting comfortably? Yeah. I always feel like we should pass popcorn around doing those, don't you? Hey, it's really good to see you this morning. A couple of days ago, Nia and I um, went out for a drive somewhere to go and take the dogs for a walk, and we came ac- across a sign on the road, and it said, um, road ahead closed. And uh, they never seem to tell you far enough in advance to really make some decisions. So basically, they were trying to push us down this cycle lane, you know, otherwise known as a Devon main road. And I, I just, I lose confidence sometimes of those signs have not just been forgotten to be picked up by someone else. So I thought, let's just go for it. So we drove past the road ahead closed sign. And I think Nita must have been praying because we get to this section of the road where there's cones all the way across because they had warned us that road ahead is closed. And as that happens, a van drives up the other side of the cones, picks up all the cones, put them on the back of his van, takes all the signs away, and we can drive straight on. It's fantastic timing. And I was reminded just how the enemy in our lives tries to tell us that there's some places we can't access. And it takes some boldness and it takes some courage for us to keep going with the promises of God to know that he who is with us can make a way where there seems to be no way. And this theme of healed and healing, there may be roadblocks that have been in your life for 50 years. And God says, I want you to trust my promises and I want you to break through and I want you to find hope and healing for things that have intimidated you and caused you to divert for many, many years. And in that, we're going to look at this morning, the, th- the sub-theme of healed and healing that we're going to look at today is a bit of a provocative one. It's a bit of an uncomfortable one, if I'm honest. It's an uncomfortable one for me to preach because I'm going, ouch. And it's an uncomfortable one for you to listen to because you're going to go, ouch. And the theme this week is addicted to busy. It's a cultural issue of our day. And I believe it's something the Lord wants to help with. Before we get to that, let me just, as a little bit of a segue from last week, let me just let you know that success or failure in our life doesn't depend on your upbringing necessarily or the advantages you've had in life. It depends on three things. And this is true for everyone in the room. The first thing is what we keep or what we get rid of. The second thing is what we live for or what we die to. And the third thing, what we embrace or reject. If you and I live, if we keep, live, and embrace healthy things in our life, and get rid of, die to, and reject unhealthy things in our life, we will know fullness and wisdom which will lead us to success. The contra side of that is that if we keep or live for or embrace 
unhealthy things in our life, then we will walk a pathway that the book of Proverbs talks as the pathway of folly, of foolishness. And it will lead to disappointments, hurts, and failures. What we keep, what we live for, and what we embrace makes all the difference. And on this particular topic this week, as we look at Addicted to Busy, this is not going to be just a moment of healing where somebody lays hands on you and suddenly the addiction is gone. Because there has to be a decision in our life to keep, to live for, and to embrace healthy things in order to move forward. But God is with us in the moment, and God is with us in the outworking. And the outworking is a bit like occupational therapists, really, that someone has an injury, they're coming back, but they need to exercise some certain things in order to bring the strength to health. And so, before we unpack this addicted to busy and squirm a little bit, and there's going to be a few squirm points today, but it's okay. God's not here to make us squirm. He's here to set us free. God's not here to make us feel uncomfortable. God is here to liberate us into new levels. So let's look at some examples of why it's important with the first point I made of what we keep. In the Old Testament, we read that the the Israelite army, they were instructed by God to go and, and capture a city, the city of Jericho, And that God would give them the victory, even though they didn't have maybe as much resource as the city, that they were to go and they were going to capture it. God said, I will give that to you. But he made them make a promise. Because the people in Jericho had submitted themselves to all sorts of foreign gods and ideologies and ways of living. And as a result of all of those ways of living, those false gods, they had Um, created all sorts of paraphernalia and iconology and idols. And there was lots of things embedded into their clothing, their art, their jewelry that related to false gods. So God said to them, when I give you victory, I want you to destroy everything you find. Don't take anything with you. You're not allowed to have anything because it's corrupt. And so they go into the city, they experience a victory and they do what God says which is don't take any of the items except for one man his name is Achan and Achan saw some of this jewelry some of this gold and silver he saw a robe that looked attractive to him and he said no one will know I'll take that I'll hide it in my tent no one will know so he does that but the problem is God always knows. And God didn't tell them not to take anything because he didn't want them to do well. He didn't want them to be affluent. The reason God said it was because he knew it was corrupt and it would be toxic in their lives. And so Achan secretly, except under the all-seeing eye of God, takes this stuff back to his tent And so the Israelites, they go on to their next battle, but instead of winning and building on their past success, they now lose. And they 
leaders are asking, why do we lose? God, why weren't you with us? And he said, because somebody kept something they shouldn't have kept. And so it's discovered that Achan has taken these items, and as a result of that, many people lost their lives, including Achan's family and including Achan. Keeping the wrong things can have disastrous consequences on our lives. So what we keep matters. Also, what we live for matters, the cause that we live for. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read of someone we're introduced to as the rich young ruler. And he is the sort of candidate that if you have a young lady as your daughter and you're thinking, I'd like her to meet a tall, dark, rich, influential, well-behaved young man, he sort of fit the category. And in his approach to Jesus, we see he'd lived a model life, he kept all the laws, He'd done rather well for himself. He was influential and well thought of. And he asked Jesus one question. And the question he asked is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus saw that he was a good man. It says Jesus showed love to him. And he said this, there's one thing you lack, young man. Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Ouch. That man left that conversation dismayed because there was so much good about his life, but his earthly treasure was more important to live for than his heavenly treasure. What we live for matters. He lived his life for the things of this world, and he walked away from Jesus. And then thirdly, what we embrace. It could be what you embrace, or it could be who you embrace. Psalm 1 verse 1, it unpacks this. In the, in the, um, the NLT version, it says it's a little bit different to maybe what you're normally familiar with. Is blessed is a man who walks not in the council. In the NLT, it says this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. You know, an embrace is a welcome. It's a pulling close. It's a taking into your your circle of influence. It's, uh, It's bringing toward you something that will be close to you. The psalmist said, don't embrace wicked people. Don't embrace and stand around with those who have disregard for the things of God. It says, don't hang around in cynical conversations with people who are gossips, who are destructive, and who have a toxic heart. Don't hang around. Don't embrace them. Now, don't ignore them. Reach them. Love them. Care for them. But make sure that they are not your influence in your life. Because who or what we embrace matters, and it makes a difference. What we keep, what we live for, what we embrace makes a difference. And as in this series of Healed and Healing, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and help us review what we keep, what we live for, and what we embrace. I pray that there will be an openness in our hearts for us to hear what the Spirit is saying.
so addicted to busy. Addicted to busy. Does anybody need a prayer line? Does anybody need a detox session from busyness? Does anybody need seven steps to freedom from busyness? Yes, we do. Because we've been cultured by this world. We've been, we've been brought up. And the things of this world are in a way that God never designed us to live. We end up with people experiencing extreme burnout. We've got an anxiety crisis in our nation, in the West. Anxiety crisis rules. And it's because, not that we're more vulnerable than past generations. It's not because we've got it more tough than past generations. And I think back some of my ancestors and, you know, living through two world wars and Spanish flu, which took out 50 million people and, and recessions and crashes. When I see what past generations have gone through, I recognize that we've not particularly got it worse than them. So it's not context. Why is there so much going around? Well, it's because there's a way of living there's a way of freedom, there's a way of healing that God's kingdom offers that this world doesn't. And I want to encourage us to start by looking at a number of questions. Are you ready to take a test this morning? Well, I know very few of you said yes then, but it's going to happen. So embrace it, live in the moment. Because what I'm going to do, I'm going to put on the screen... 2,000 questions that we're going to spend the next four hours looking through. <laughs> I'm going to redact it under six. And each of these answers will have, each of these questions will have one of four answers. If you choose number one, it will mean, as you look at these questions, that, it's that the statement or the question is not very true of you. Now, let me say we're not going to ask you what your answers are. We're not going to move you around in the room and get all the number ones over here and all the number twos over. We're not going to do that. You are the only person who knows. So if you want to lie to yourself, then maybe we'll have a prayer time for you afterwards. <laughs> if it's number two, if you choose a value of two next to the question, it means that the statement or the question is sometimes true. If it's number three, it's because it's mostly true. Or if it's number four, it means it's very true. Now, I haven't written these questions. And some of the things we're going to look at today, I've not written this. This has come from a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Scazzaro who's a pastor of a great church in the States and has spent many years after experiencing burnout and breakdown in his own life, after living with emotional trauma for years that he was in denial about, he was lying to himself. After going through all of that, God began to build him up piece by piece and heal him bit by bit and teach him how to walk and what to keep and what to live for and what to embrace in his life. So are you ready for question number one? Here we go. I spend sufficient time alone with God to sustain my work for God so that I live out of a cup that overflows. Is that number one? Not very true. Two? Sometimes true. Three? 
mostly true, four, very true. Okay, don't shut out your answers, hold them in to yourself. That way it will be something that, if you want to make a note of them even, you can do that. Second question. It is easy for me to identify what I am feeling inside. You find it, you've got a presence of mind, you've got a self-awareness to know how you're feeling and what's going on. Not very true, sometimes true, mostly true or very true. Question three. When I become anxious or feel like I have too much to do in too little time, I stop and I slow down to be with God and myself as a way to recenter my life. One, two, three, or four. Question four. I set apart a 24-hour period each week for Sabbath keeping, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate God. One, two, three, four. Question five. People close to me would describe me as content, non-defensive, and free from the approval or the disapproval of others. One, two, three, or four. And then the final question. I regularly spend time in solitude and silence. This enables me to be still and undistracted in God's presence. One, two, three, or four. I don't know how uncomfortable you found that. I don't know how many ouch moments there were for you. But let me just summarize some of the responses that you may have had, and we're going to look at these in a few moments' time in more detail. If you scored mostly threes or fours, then that would put you in the categories of either an emotional adolescent or an emotional adult. Well, don't worry, you don't know what that means. We will explain. If you scored lots of ones, or twos, then that would put you in the category of emotional child or emotional infant. Again, don't judge yourself harshly, honestly, but not harshly. And also know that whatever you scored, whatever the reflection of where you're honestly at, that God absolutely loves you. Amen. That there are no favorites. If we were lining the ones, the twos, and the threes, and the fours up, and Jesus walked into the room, he wouldn't walk towards the fours and say, I'm just going to talk with these because they're, they're more responsible. He wouldn't do that. In fact, I think there's something about Jesus that he probably goes to the more vulnerable and this isn't about the appearance, this is about what the heart. So the, the religious people of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad. It's an old one, didn't. It's not in my notes either, I remember that one, which is really sad, isn't it? But the realities are that many of those 
if you unpack in the hearts, this is why Jesus was combating with them, because they pretended they were spiritually and emotionally mature, but actually they were deeply insecure and broken. And so it's the pretense that Jesus finds difficult. It's the religious cloak that comes around us that pretends we've got it all together. And it's not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees have done that in the past. Churches have been doing that for years, pretending we've got it all together. And this series, it's not putting a searchlight around us and saying, oh, look how broken we are. Look how messed up we are. Look how much we've got to do. That's not the heart of it. The heart is to say, let's create a congruence between who we are on the inside and who we are on the outside. And as followers of Jesus, that doesn't mean to say if we're bitter and twisted on the inside, we become bitter and twisted on the outside. It means we get healed on the inside so that life comes. We'll come back to these scores in a few moments, whatever you scored, but remember this, God loves you, he knows you, and he wants you to be mature. You can do this, but it will involve keeping the right things, living for the right things, and embracing the right things. One of the best examples we have in the scriptures of somebody who is not just addicted to busyness, but we've got this contrast, we've got this wonderful story, somebody preached on it recently, of these two sisters in the same room, on the same occasion, both doing different things. One was busy being at the feet of Jesus, and the other one was busy in the kitchen doing. Mary and Martha. And we got this wonderful moment to get a snapshot to see how Jesus responds to both of those dynamics. We know that he loved both of them, and we'll see that in a moment. Mary was focused on being. Martha was focused on doing. Let's look at the story. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 38 onwards, it says this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my lazy good-for-nothing sister just sits on her derriere while I do all the work. That's the amplified version. <laughs> tell her. She's right next to you. You tell her. <laughs> Jesus, tell her. Tell her to come and help me. now. But the Lord said to her, look at this response. It's beautiful. Here, here she is telling Jesus, tell her. And he says, my dear Martha, isn't he so gentle with us? Yeah. You've scored a load of ones. He's so gentle with you. You've lost it with people. He's so gentle with you. My dear Mark, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary... She's discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Martha would have been rewarded by some churches. Why? Because she was being hospitable. 
Hospitality is a great gift, isn't it? The Bible tells us to be hospitable. We never know if we're entertaining angels unaware. That, that new person you've said hello to this morning could be an angel. That's embarrassing now, isn't it? Thinking back to some of the conversations you had. Mar Martha was being hospitable. Mar Martha was being a servant. Martha was being productive. Martha was even trying to employ some delegation tactics, although not with much grace, but she tried to get her sister involved in the task. Martha was hardworking. She was preparing a big dinner. So she was busy. She was being a servant. She was behind the scenes. All those things we try and reward. But Jesus said, Mary has learned the best. Jesus seems to have different criteria to us. I suspect that if Martha had completed those six questions we just looked at, she might have scored fairly lowly on a number of them. She would have found herself maybe being in the category of an emotional child or an infant. I said I promised to expand what those terms mean. Let's do that with two of them for a moment. Let's look at what Peter Scazzaro in his book, after all his years of looking into this, what he would describe an emotional infant as looking like. So if you scored lots of ones, you'll probably find some resonance here. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus is close and he loves you. But this is it. Emotional infant says, I look for people to take care of me emotionally and spiritually. It's a vulnerability and a need for other people. We all need others, but there's a sense of like, it's your responsibility to do that for me. That I struggle to define my own emotions or enter into the emotional world of other people. That I am driven by a need for instant gratification and I can use other people to try to satisfy that need. That others consider me to be inconsiderate or insensitive. If you find that people regularly feel like their toes are stood on or that you walk in in the wrong moment or say the wrong thing, that there's this sense of insensitivity or inconsiderate nature. I am uncomfortable with silence or solitude. When life is difficult, I find myself wanting to quit God and throw the towel in on Christianity. And I sometimes experience God when gathered together with others, but I rarely experience God when I'm at home or at work. So church becomes, the gathering of the church becomes the lifeline for you. This is when you engage with God's presence, but it wanes. That's an emotional infant. Let's look at an emotional child. Possibly be more aligned to those who scored quite a number of twos. Definition is giving us this. When life goes my way, I'm content. But when disappointments or stresses come, I find myself unraveling inside. Maybe I often take things personally and interpret other people's words and actions as a personal offense. Or when I don't get my way, I often complain, withdraw, manipulate, drag my feet, become sarcastic, or take revenge. 
or I often end up living off the spirituality of others because I am so overloaded or distracted, or my prayer life is primarily talking to God, telling him what I want and how I would like him to fix my problems. It's more of a duty than a delight. If you see yourself in any of these points, or even all of them, it's okay. Breathe a sigh of relief. Everyone's too afraid to breathe a sigh of relief. Those ouches, there is a healing for them. The road is not blocked. You can move forward, and God has designed us to drive towards healing and freedom. But owning it, owning these issues, is a really important place to start. Not so that you can sit experiencing the condemnation of the Spirit, but so that you can experience His highlight on your life so that you can move towards His healing. You know, maturity is not about age. Maybe you've lived quite a long time on earth. It doesn't make you mature. Sometimes we live as stunted kids for many, many years. Somebody once commented that, you know, I've not, um, that, that I've, I've, like, I've lived one year of my life 50 times rather than 50 years of my life because I feel like I get stuck. God lovingly wants to come alongside us and help us to mature by choosing to take and keep things that are wise and healthy live for things that are good, and to embrace things that are healthy. Back to Mary and Martha. They needed to eat at some point, didn't they? Didn't they? Yeah. Now, Jesus, we really fasted for 40 days, so we know he had the capacity to go without food for prolonged periods of time, but that couldn't go on forever. Food, Jesus wasn't having a go at food preparation here, wasn't he? He wasn't saying, listen, if you want to follow me, you're never going to catering. He wouldn't say that. Because food's part of the delights of what God's given us. It's part of the requirement of our bodies that needs fuel. So Martha wasn't doing something sinful. Cooking and doing and being busy is not sinful. In fact, the Bible talks about laziness as a problem. And doing is not a bad thing. Being busy is not a bad thing. So what is Jesus really getting at here? Someone surely had to be in the kitchen to prepare some food. You may look at your life and see all the to-do lists that you have, and you might just think, this is overwhelming. With the day or the week that's ahead, you might think, I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in. Maybe you don't even have a to-do list. And you just keep it all in here and it just swims around your head like a, a collision of fish that's just banging into each other. And it's just noise and sounds and chaos and anxiety and worries. And you're worrying, can I remember it? And I just want to encourage you to get it down on a list. Get it all down on a list. Come back to it and add to it as you come back and remember some things you forgot. But it's really helpful to get it on a list because then you can look through and you can say, actually... That's not the important one. I can defer that for a few weeks. That one there, that's critical. I need to get onto that. Busyness is not the issue here. 
Fruitfulness and productiveness is not the issue. What is the issue? Well, it's not doing nothing. God's not asking his church to become monastic and go and live in a cave in the middle of a desert somewhere and disengage from all responsibilities in this world. That's not what Mary represents. There have been times in church history where people have done that, and, and I understand that the reading around some of that and the lessons we can learn, but we're called to bring monastic rhythms more into our everyday life, not leave everyday life in order to find Christ. He's with us. But the moral of the story, Mary and Martha, is that we should give out of the fullness of Christ, not out of the emptiness of doing. What did Jesus say to Martha? He said, you are distracted. Distracted. Just cook it. You're distracted. She was distracted from what? From her emptiness. You see, what happens is we get so busy that we don't even know that we're empty. And the buzz that we get from ticking off another item on the to-do list fills us with a sense of affirmation, gives us a buzz, but it never waters our souls. And we leave going around in circles and eventually burning out. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing in the world today. Because as Jesus said to the woman at the well, I will give you water that you will never thirst again. I reckon, and I have no evidence for this, but I reckon Mary could cook. I would love to have seen some other occasions where she was the one in the kitchen. The issue is not the cooking. It's the fullness. Imagine... What the world would be like, though, if we said, let's withdraw from the world and let's sit at Jesus' feet every day. There'd be no agriculture, no education, no employment, no jobs, no homes, no construction, no industry. That's not what God's calling us to be a part of, is it? That's not, that's not the vision for the brave new world, that we do nothing. God's given us hands and abilities and competencies and skills and gifts to employ, to be a part of his purposes of the renewal of all things in the earth. Not the withdrawal from all things, but the renewal of all things. That takes work and it takes energy and it takes life. And if you're not putting any energy into the things of the kingdom, then get up, wake up. The kingdom has need of you. The renewal of all things is going to happen when the people of God say, I'm in. This is what I live for. I live not for the things of this world. I live not for the riches of this world. I live for the things of eternity. And we give of ourselves to choose what we keep, what we live for, what we embrace. We're called, though, to live with a healthy spiritual fullness. It's impossible to live a physical healthy diet on a diet of fast food. And it's impossible to live a healthy spiritual life or an emotional life just by experiencing fast food Christianity. Spiritual fullness involves receiving from God more than we do for him. Spiritual fullness is our lives being that reservoir where Jesus said, out of you will flow rivers of living water. 
that artesian well, that breaking through the living water of the Spirit in our lives, that that's what we're meant to flow out of. And the problem that we have in church is not that we are not passionate, it's not that we're not doing enough necessarily, although if that fits to you, then apply it. The problem is that we're dry. We're at empty reservoirs. There's a drought on in the church. And it's not because the Spirit of God is not wanting to fill. It's because we're distracted. We're busy cooking. We're busy leading worship. We're busy getting involved in alpha programs. We're busy running kids programs. And listen, those things are good. Those things are needed. But we need to be full. Come on, church. Be a reservoir of the Spirit. Come on, allow Him to fill you. Allow Him to flow through you. And if you're empty... Don't go in the kitchen. Sit at his feet. If you're empty, receive of the Spirit of God in your life. God has an abundance. But it won't come from sitting at his feet once. It won't come from coming to church on occasions and I bring out a hydrant to just squirt you all with this. The Word of God is not a Sunday super soaker experience. It's meant to stir up your faith and your passion for Jesus so that you sit at his feet on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because there's a reservoir within you that needs to be filled. And our addiction to busyness stops us. The issue with Martha was that her reservoir was dry. If it wasn't dry she wouldn't have reacted like she did. You know, I've met wonderful people over the years who do all sorts of wonderful things for the Lord, but there's a bit of a hero syndrome about them where there's a sense of, but people realize what I'm doing here. And they may not articulate and say that way, but it comes out in little clues. Like, tell them. What about them? Why is no one... I can imagine her in the kitchen banging the pots and slamming the plates down hard and throwing the fridge door closed and just imagine just those subtle signs of an empty reservoir. There's Mary. I can see Martha looking to the hatch going. Listen, I know some of you think I only work one day a week. Amen. Wrong place to say amen. <laughs> reality is quite different. The realities are that just like you, there are all sorts of demands on my time. And do you know, you can be in full-time ministry and go through a week without having time to sit at the feet of Jesus. It shouldn't be, but it's as real for me. You know, over the last few months, it's not just pastoral issues that you're responding to. There's team building issues. There's practicalities of buildings. There's legal papers to sign for the purchase of new property in New Nabbot. There's, there's bits and pieces everywhere. And your life's like that. 
And unless I carve out a rhythm in my life, it doesn't happen. See, I used to think years ago that if I ever worked for a church, it would be so easy just to, I could spend all day just praying and worshiping. The realities are, I can feel quite guilty taking a day out to go and pray. Because I'm aware the, the team are all in the office working really hard, and I'm thinking, oh. But I need to, this reservoir to be full. In fact, we see it in the New Testament when the early church started. We see that they decided it's not right for us to wait upon tables. And it wasn't because there's a status thing in that. Because they knew that they needed to be, if they were going to lead this movement that's going to be worldwide, they needed to be full reservoirs. You and I, if we're going to see a move of Jesus across the face of the earth, if we're going to see a harvest, we have to be full reservoirs, church. We have to be spirit-filled and spirit-flowing. We can't be people with good ideas. We can't be people who just wait on tables. We can't be people who learn how to cook nice meals. We have to be spirit-filled. And that's for all of us. All of us. A few minutes ago, we considered the traits of being an emotional infant or emotional child. Let's progress on to teenage years and an adulthood. If you scored quite a lot of threes, then maybe some of these things describe you. I don't like it when people question me. Anybody got a question about that? I don't want to hear it. That's known as an example. Secondly, I make quick judgments and interpretations of people's behavior. I withhold forgiveness. I avoid or cut off people who hurt me. Is there a pattern of that in your life? I subconsciously keep records of the love I give out to others. Oh, they don't know that, but you know it. I have trouble listening to other people's pain, disappointments, or needs without becoming preoccupied with myself. Oh, never mind you went through that. You want to hear what I went through? I sometimes find myself too busy to spend adequate time nourishing my spiritual life. I attend church and I serve others, but enjoy few delights in Christ. My Christian life is still primarily about doing, not being with him. And prayer continues to be, the most, to be the, mostly about me talking with little silence or listening to God. If you recognize these traits, it's okay. Admit that they're in your garage and know that the Holy Spirit wants to help come alongside you to make wise decisions about what you keep, what you live for, and what you embrace. He wants to lead you and me to maturity. And I've seen busy believers burn out because they fail to acknowledge what needs help. I've seen them working hard trying to create significance in their life, to try and find purpose in their activities, but Without a full reservoir, it will never be enough. We looked at the traits of an emotional infant, an emotional child, an emotional adolescent, but now let's look at an emotional adult. Lots of fours maybe in your scores. I respect and love others without having to change them or become judgmental. You could frame these fours as the things that Christ wants you and I to become and maybe every time you've approached them, it says road closed. But 
God has made a way. Yeah. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how dysfunctional you've been. I don't care how emotionally stunted your life has been. God has made a way and you can keep driving by faith and he will open the road. It's calling us to maturity. Let's do that again. I respect and love others without having judgment, without having to change them or become judgmental. I value people for who they are, not what they can give or how they can behave. I take responsibility for my own thoughts, my own feelings, goals, and actions. I can state my own beliefs without becoming adversarial with those who disagree with me. I am able to accurately self-assess my limits, strengths, and weaknesses. I'm deeply convinced that I'm absolutely loved by Christ, and I do not need to look to others to affirm me regularly. I am able to be both Mary and Martha. And my life has moved beyond just talking to God, to loving him, and enjoying regular communion with him. So in conclusion this morning, I'm going to give you three ways, three muscles, three decisions that you and I can make that choose to ignore that road ahead close sign and to drive by faith. If you can make these decisions, I guarantee you, you will move forward in spiritual and emotional maturity. The first one is this. Make a brave New Day decision today. You say, Mark, I know that the year ahead I'm already committed to contracts, I'm committed to activity, I'm committed to all sorts of things that mean I don't have a way of shortening my to-do list. I get that, and that's okay. But make a decision today that you are going to, from this day forward, work out a way of doing it more balanced. Make a decision today that you are going to live to fill the reservoir of your life. Make a decision today. It's a radical decision. It feels rebellious against the system. It feels like you're driving against that sign that says, turn around, take a diversion, the road is closed. But it's not. And the only thing you're rebelling against is the kingdom of this world. But you are coming in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. Choose to let go of a life of overcommitment and hurry. End your addiction today to the tasks and the doing. That's the first thing. Second thing, ask yourself regular why questions. The answers to why you do things are very revealing. They reveal what you are living for that moment. You can ask, why am I always in a hurry? Why am I always impatient? Why do I avoid conflict? Why did I feel so devastated when my boss said that? Why do I always struggle to deliver what I promise? Why? Ask that question of yourself, and it will be a revelation. 
Because our why is so important. If you have to journal it, if you'd like to journal it, get some pen and paper and just say, I feel really flat today. I felt that work was really tough. Why? And answer it with honesty. And see what patterns you see emerging. And then when you see the why, say, I'm going to make a decision of what I live for here. Is that why as good a reason as the reason that Christ gives me to keep on driving past that? But until you know the why, you can't do that. And when you have honestly answered the why, decide if that's really what you want to live for. And then finally, this beautiful reservoir that's within you that Jesus desires to fill. Commune with Jesus and fill your reservoir throughout the day and the week. Find ways to slow your life down. I find this quite difficult. During pandemic time, when we were able to go out and walk certain times of day, or for a certain length of the day, and we really got into walking. And I decided that when the pandemic was over, that I was going to leave my car at home a lot more and walk into church. It's about a 30-minute walk for us. Um, I live right at the top of a hill, so it's quite a good cardio. And I, and I had you know, this vision of this walk being a lovely, gentle way to enjoy nature and you know, to wave to the bunny rabbits in the morning and just to have this space to think about the whys of my day and, you know, and just, oh, Lord, this is so beautiful. Oh, look at those clouds floating. Oh, I feel so at peace, oh, God. This is lovely. And then I began to notice a pattern. Leave the house a bit later than I should. And so I'm basically power walking and sweating. And not only that, but there's a book I want to finish on Audible. So I'm listening to the book on two and a half times the normal speed. <laughs> and this like, this slow, genteel, slow the pace of life. I'm like, I look like someone on speed. You know, I am just... Find ways to slow our lives down. Make it a goal. It's okay. The addiction to busyness will tell you that you're failing, that you're not being constructive, you're not being fruitful, but you need to fill the reservoir. Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5 says we should pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean to say you carry your prayer list around with you in work and the boss comes up to you and says, hey, will you photocopy these for me? And you go, hang up out. Lord, I just pray for George. <laughs> and I pray for Mary. And I pray, God, that you'll help Martha with her issues in the kitchen. What are you doing? I'm, I have to pray without ceasing. But what about work? No, I have to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that's not what it means. It means that Jesus, if you had the opportunity this week to take physical Jesus with you 24-7 in your workplace, in your home, sit on your sofa tonight with you, Travel in the car to work with you tomorrow. Sit in your workplace. I wonder, I wonder how that would change things for you. I think it would change a lot. You'd be in a board meeting and you'd be 
What do you think? I, I'm gonna, I've got the wisest person in the world next to me right now. Hey, Jesus, what do we do? I think we do that. Or a crisis happens, and you say, just hang about. I've got the person who, he holds the whole world in his hands. He holds the whole wide world. Hey, Jesus, this feels a bit stressful. What do I do? We do that all day. But he is with us by his spirit. And it's not just one of you that gets the chance to have him this week. All of us get to live 24-7 with the spirit of God with us. All the time. And we commune. We chat. We catch up. He helps me with my why questions. He heals me. Oh, that was difficult. God, that was really hard and worked. And he comes and he places his hands upon us. And he brings us peace. That's what he wants to do. So I pray that we will acknowledge him. And also, I'm just going to put this as the last thing as part of this. Take a Sabbath. It's not an idea. It's a command. It's one of the ten. Take a time out to unclutter, to trust God, to trust and obey him. Let's pray together. You're not stuck. You may have never gone past that road ahead closed sign before. And I hope that this morning, it's not, it's not affirmed that sense of a roadblock. It's given you courage to drive beyond it towards healing. If you scored one for everything, it's okay. The Lord's with you, and he can help you. You can drive beyond it, but you'll need his help. I wonder if maybe you could just open your hands before the Lord and say, fill this reservoir, Lord. Not just now, but I pray that I will learn rhythms in my life where I'm continuously being filled. Help my addiction to busy, oh God. Set me free. May my days be your days. May my work be your work. May my hands be your hands. Help me process the whys. Why do I respond in that way? Thank you that you're better than any counselor psychiatrist thank you for those skills that you give our world but I thank you that your spirit is with us and you help us and Lord some of us feel really broken some of us this morning feel very vulnerable you've put your finger some primary needs in our life. And I thank you, you don't condemn. 
bring healing. Come and heal our hearts. Come and help us carry stuff out of the garage that needs to go. Come and help us to align our cause with the cause of the kingdom. And I pray, oh God, precious people in this room and online, that you've called to do great things for you, but I pray we'll always do them out of overflow. I pray, oh God, that we will not bash those pots and pans around and demand the attention of others to see what we're doing, but I pray we'll be so full of you. It will be a delight and a joy because it oozes out of us. ideas and insights on how we can do that within our days. Help us, oh God. Heal us. 